Chapter Eighteen of the Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen, Wings of the Morning. There are nights in summer, which are not meant to be wasted in sleep, for a magical veil woven from moonlight and dew and the fragrance of a million flowers transfigures the prosaic world of labour and sorrow into a place of wondrous delight on nights like this one who foregoes his sleep to wander forth into the enchanted land of fairy may see and hear much that is hid from the wise and prudent who tarry bedfast till daybreak under the roof of the old eggleston house milly orne lay wide-eyed in her narrow bed outside her window in the topmost branches of a blossoming catalpa a bird sang drowsily sweet snatches of matin's song a pair of catbirds were nesting there and the little brown father of the fledglings safely folded under the mother's breast waked and slept on his swinging bough and waked again in the broad light of the moon to ease his heart of its dream of love it must be near morning thought milly who had also slept fitfully being dimly aware of the moonlight flooding her dingy little room and of the bird-song and fragrance beneath her window. She arose after a little, and bound her long hair about her head. If at nightfall she had felt weariness and the leaden desire to sleep, both had vanished, leaving her wondrous strong and light of heart. She thought with sudden longing of the garden Grandfather Orne had pridefully laid out for Grandmother back in the fifties, it had been sadly neglected in Milly's absence, lusty weeds flaunting their coarse leaves in the queer old-fashioned rounds and squares sacred to the delicate blossoms of bluebells, lilies, and sweet williams. It would soon be daylight, thought Milly, but surely the night was her own to do with as she willed. And so, almost before she was aware of her resolution, she had passed softly through the sleeping house and out into the magical night. High in the bridal white of his chamber, the bird trilled softly, while half hid in the unshorn grass, dew-drenched sprays of honeysuckle and roses yielded their perfume as the girl's light garments brushed past them. Like a spirit, she flitted down the long avenue of trees, unaware of following eyes as wakeful as her own. The two old people lay heavily asleep in their bedroom next to the kitchen. Milly paused under their window, propped open a hand's breadth, and listened, smiling, to the raucous concert of their breathing. The old dog had roused from his mat on the doorstep with a smothered bark, only to whine and fondle the hand held out to him. Perhaps he was well used to seeing a sweet young ghost flitting among the flowers of a moonlight night for he retreated to his place and lay down, his wise old head on his paws, his eyes, which saw things not to be uttered or understood, following the movements of the girl. It was no easy task to distinguish between the coarse textured leaves of encroaching weeds and the rightful denizens of the garden beds. The moon, swinging halfway between zenith and horizon, shed only a mystic half-light over the sleeping garden. To her vexation, 
Milly perceived that she had rooted up more than one of the thrifty four o'clocks and petunias, their velvet cups close shut against the dew. After all, toil belonged to the day, and in this old garden, asleep and breathing perfume, there were no weeds. The magic of the moonlight had touched them all with beauty. So Milly trod the worn paths, her feet making no sound on the soft earth, her hands caressing the nodding blossoms, and her fresh lips brushing the dew from their petals, while the moon swung lower in the west, and along the eastern horizon a faint glow, dim and mystical as the heart of a sleeping rose, betrayed the dawn. Then all at once the birds awoke, with soft twitters and half-uttered trills. Nestlings began to cry weakly for food, thrusting callow heads against the shielding breasts that brooded them. The old dog rose from his mat, yawned, turned thrice around, and lay down again, his wise head on his paws, his yellow eyes following the girl's light figure. Or was it merely the familiar ghost which always vanished at daybreak? Milly had gained the road, her hands filled to overflowing with flowers, her thoughts as wild and free as the birds flitting overhead in the blended light of dawn and dying moon. She felt no fear, and but little wonder, when at the turn of the road she met him. "'What a night!' he sighed. "'And you, you're not a mortal woman, I swear, but a spirit. I think I'm afraid.' Milly looked at him gravely. "'What is a mortal?' she asked. "'And what is a spirit? "'And why should one be afraid, as you say, of either?' "'Hard questions, those,' he made answer. "'Yet it comes to me that I am also a spirit, "'and meeting thus, neither of us should be afraid of the other.' "'And whether it was the magic of the hour, "'or the pleading in his dark eyes seeking hers, "'Milly felt neither fear of him, nor shame, which is more cruel than fear. If in truth, he went on, you and I were not mortals, but spirits, I might say many things to you, and you would listen. I will listen, said Milly, eager as a moth at the lip of a flower. Well then, I have been unhappy, being bound with a hateful chain, which after all is not a chain, but a silken web, spun in secret out of fear and pride. I was asleep when the chain was laid on me, but now I'm awake, and I see that I must break it, for your sake and my own. The girl turned her glorified face toward him, the rose of dawn upon it. If I should pretend that I do not understand you, she said slowly, it wouldn't be the truth. Milly, he cried, you know that I love you. Yes, she breathed, I know. And I love you. But when, being mortal and a man, he would have clasped and kissed her, she drew away, regarding him over the mass of flowers she held against her breast, her face in the light of the living dawn, gravely sweet as that of an angel. There is the chain, she said. It lies between us. Have I not said? It is not a chain, he cried, but a web of lies. It shall not separate us. I am not. But she halted the words on his lips with a look. There are others to be thought of, she reminded him, and he groaned aloud. But not for always, he said. 
Not for ever, Milly. Milly. And now the moon had altogether vanished from behind them, and its magic light lost in the flood of honest day which streamed full in their young faces. The girl looked at him steadfastly. We've both forgotten many things, she said sadly. It's not possible to unsay words once they're spoken. I would to God it were. It is not possible, he echoed. Thank God it's not possible. And with that name upon his lips, took her hand in both his own, and stooping, kissed it with all reverence. Milly, he said, whether you believe me or not, I have done you no wrong. To me, she breathed, you've done no wrong. But to another, and to another I have done no wrong, I swear it. I will tell you everything, and you shall judge. But at that she cried out. Tell me nothing, she entreated. Just let me go. She was only a woman, trembling and terror-smitten, now that the hour of her exaltation was past. Oh, let me go, she wailed. Why did you come out to meet me? As before, he did not attempt to follow, but stood watching her with troubled eyes till the last light flutter of her garments vanished on the green hillside. I'm a fool, he said aloud, and smote his clenched fist in his palm. For a long time thereafter, he lay prone upon his face among the fern, thinking the long, long thoughts of youth, which in truth take wings of the morning from deeps of black despair to heights dreamed of but never quite attained. And yet, it is good to fly. End of chapter 18